Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 is our text this morning. It's the story of the disciples on the stormy sea. It leads us to think about whether or not we are on a stormy sea. Anybody feel like you're, you're drowning in difficulties? There's all kinds of difficulties that we can drown in. We can drown in debt. We can drown in marriage problems. We can drown in just caregiving. We can drown in data overload. Anybody drowning in over phone use? You know, it just, it just goes on and on, the things. And sometimes when we're drowning, it does feel like waves are crashing against us. And the waves that are crashing against us are doing so. And it looks like Jesus is asleep. He's ignoring the whole situation. Well, that's kind of like the situation the disciples were going through. They were seeing literal waves crash against them. And Jesus was asleep. But I think we'll find he was not ignoring uh, what was going on. And I want us to see uh, what Jesus was thinking, what he was doing during this storm. And I want us to see how the focus switches from the servants, us, to the Savior. How the focus switches from storm dwellers to the storm designer. You see that when you get to verse 41. Let me read it for us. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want us to think about this focus. You know, it starts with all about them and then it ends with who then is, is Jesus. It clearly switches our thoughts from, from our dilemmas to our deliverer. Many times when we're in the storms of life, we only think about what's crashing against us. And we miss, as consequently, the deliverance and the direction of God. When we get our eyes off of our dilemma and onto Christ and His sovereign sufficiency, we often see He just takes us right on through the storms without the difficulties we were imagining or foreseeing. I want us to see, first of all, how Jesus takes us into storms, how he took them into this difficulty situation they were facing. Notice the command, verse 35. On that day when evening came, who's talking? Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side. 
imperative. It's a command. Jesus is directing the disciples, get in the boat. Let's go over to the other side. They didn't come up with this suggestion. Jesus did. And it's no longer a suggestion when Jesus speaks. It's a command. He's commanding them to get in the boat and to go to the other side. Well, that's important. Because a lot of times when the waves are crashing in against us, we're thinking, it's, you know, why is this happening to you? You ever had somebody ask you that? You know, why do you think you're having trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble? Why is this happening? My first thought, well, I guess it's my fault. It's all my fault. And then after I, you know, get over my humility, I say, no, no, no. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And we start blaming somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. They, somebody did this, 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 and that's why I'm in such a miserable state. And then... We go on and shifting blame from one to the other. Rarely do I ever hear somebody come up to me and say, Preacher, you know what? God has led me into a very difficult situation. God has designed around me just the most terrible, horrific storm you can imagine. We don't often blame God for the storm. And yet it's clear God's in charge of this storm. God's the one who says, get in the boat. God's the one who says, let's go to the other side. God is the director here. He knows clearly the storm's coming. He knows what he's doing. He directs them into the storm. Christ often takes us into difficulty. And that's comforting to realize once we, we catch it, that we have a God whose character whose nature is not to give us storm-free lives. See, that's not my nature. It's not yours. If you were designing your life, it would be storm-free, would it not? But that is not the nature of our God to do that. Our God intentionally designs storms for us. There's no way he's going to allow us to go through this life without difficulty because there are things he can teach us and do to us and ways he can conform us to the image of Christ through a storm that he can't do any other way. So God has designed specific particular storms for you and for me. And we see that over and over. Jesus is commanding them to go. So let's think about that. You've got a command from Jesus to get in the boat and go across the lake. Sea of Galilee. So if you get in the boat and you start going across the Sea of Galilee, you are not acting in disobedience. This storm is not a result of disobedience. They obeyed the Lord and got into the boat. Secondly, it's not a result of ignorance or inexperience. Did you notice um, other boats? Verse 36. And so they took him just as he was, and other boats were with him. What does that tell you? You've got a number of boats, which means a number of sea captains out on the sea. You're not going to get multiple boats going across a storm-filled sea. There's too much experience in this text for that to happen. So we've got multiple boats, multiple experienced 
fishermen, seamen, on the sea at the same time, and they wouldn't do that if they thought their life was threatened. You know, usually in a storm, you hear about the one stupid person out on the lake, you know? Like, why were you even there? You should have more sense than that. In this case, we've got multiple boats, multiple people that are smart enough to know, you know, the weather's not real suitable to get on the sea and go across right now. But that's not happening. So their sea is suitable for travel. And there are multiple boats, they're all going across before the storm even comes up. So it's not disobedience, it's not ignorance, it's not inexperience, and yet they're caught in a storm that's life threatening. Where did that come from? Why is it we didn't see it? Why is it we're having this experience? We were just obeying the Lord. Perhaps Jesus wants to take us through storms. You know, it, it took me a while to get this. Uh, when we moved into this building, uh, the elders had a, a growth plan, and uh, we brought the deacons in on it, and then we prayed about it for four years. And the growth plan was, okay, we now have a bigger facility. Let's grow and multiply and go to two services. And those of you who've been here long enough, you, you know that. And we, we presented it and went through it and through it and prayed about it and talked about it. And I wrote papers on it and how we're going to do it. And we're going to have a traditional service and then we're going to have our blended service and we're going to have two distinct things going at two different times and all of this is going to happen and you know I went to school for it I read books on it and we prayed through all of that for like I said for four years and then finally we did it and as soon as we did it there was a storm it's kind of like moving the chairs around last week you know there are people who said, man, I love this. This is so cool. And others saying, can you please change it back? You know, and, and you, you get that immediately. And we were going through those storms and all of a sudden, oh, it's all my fault. And if I wasn't saying that, you were saying that. It's all your fault. You know, even at home, you have spouses that says, you must have done something. It's got to be your fault. And then after a while, maybe it's not your fault. It's, it's their fault. They should be submissive. They should, we take church vows to be submissive to our elders and they've prayed for it for four years and they've studied it and we should just be submissive. It's their fault. And you go that direction. And as I was trying to work through those storms, God showed me something very significant here in Mark 4. And that is, David, it's not your fault you did it right. You had the experience. It's not their fault. They are being submissive. God says, it's my fault. I designed a storm. I, I'm orchestrating a, a purging, a division, something that you would never, ever, ever do. And I'm going to take new covenant places it could never go without this storm. And you, it, it becomes comforting when you begin to take your eyes off of yourself and start seeing what God is designing. 
and what he's doing. Now some of you really need to hear that because in your particular life, the same application is there. There's storms that you might be going through and they're not your fault. And they're not necessarily somebody else's fault. But God is designing a storm for you to take you somewhere he could never take you without that storm. And he's, he's, he's working some great things in your life. I mean, you all know there's storms that you don't cause. Have you realized, we've, just, we've got an example. Children have a mind of their own. Have you ever realized that? Some parents need to remember that and hear that because there's parents who have prayed with their kids and prayed over their kids and read scripture to their kids and tried to train up their kids and every week present Christ to their kids and then find out one day they have a mind of their own and they just leave and abandon Christ and the church and go a different direction. And you say, what did I do wrong? And maybe it's not your fault or in someone else's fault. There's times in the workplace where your, your boss comes to you and says, we've got to lay you off, or we've got to cut your salary. You say, what did I do? And they say, it's not your fault. This just has to happen. It's a management decision. And you wrestle with that, but sometimes that's a storm God has designed to prepare you and strengthen you in ways you never imagined. There's plenty of things in life that are not our fault. And we, like diseases, some of you are afflicted with disabilities and diseases. And it's comforting to know it's not your fault. But God has designed something for you that you would have not designed for yourself. That's why we call it a storm. And God's taking you through that storm to change you and to grow you and to complete you in the image of Christ. And that storm is what's necessary for for that to happen. Just realize what a comfort it is to realize that I can be going through a storm and I'm not outside the will of God. I'm right where he wants me. You might be going through a tough situation and you're right where God wants you. He's pleased with with where he has you. And that's so contrary sometimes to the world's thinking. We think our lives should be storm free and yet God has clearly designed storms for us. He takes us into them. Second, I want you to see when he gets you there, he starts teaching. He teaches us in the storms. Jesus was constantly teaching the disciples over and over. Um, it says, so verse 37, uh, this fierce gale arose as if it was out of the blue. Of course, we know it's not. God is designing this. God's in charge of this. Verse thir- end of verse 37, the boat was already filling up. Uh, Peter, James, and John were all professional fishermen, and they had other fishermen uh, that were on the, the apostolic team. But these guys did this for a living. And they don't even think about waking Jesus up until the boat is filling up. It's now all hands on deck. There's more water coming in than we can bail out. 
How is it that he's still sleeping, pointing at Jesus? We need more bailers. And so it's only then that they wake him up. And this would be fun to, to uh, talk to Jesus about and ask him, you know, tell us what you were really thinking, you know, when you went to sleep on that cushion. Let me give you a, a verse to think about. Look at John 6, 5 and 6. John 6. Here you, you get a glimpse into the mind of Christ discipling the disciples. John chapter 6. Jesus, this is the story of Jesus feeding the five thousands, but that's us reading ahead and already knowing what's happening. Look at verse 5. John 6 verse 5 says, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And catch this phrase. This he was saying to test him. Catch the next phrase. Because he knew, he, he himself knew what he was intending to do. So he already knew he was going to feed 5,000. He already knew he was going to multiply the bread and the, and the fish. He knew it before he asked the question. So the reason he asked the question was what? Verse 6, to test him. So he has this conversation with Philip. He says, Philip, look, look at those people coming to hear me preach. And to heal. And to do do what I do. He said, there's thousands of them. Coming to this remote place. How are we going to feed them? And Philip's saying, there's no way we've got enough money. Even if there was a Chick-fil-A here. You know, there's no way we've got enough money to pay for this crowd. I mean, can Imagine every conversation Jesus has with the disciples. He's like, let's see how they, they handle this one. Throws this test out. And he says, I already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to multiply fish and bread. I got this. Now, that's the mindset of Christ. So as you take it back to Mark 4, to the storm experience... You've got a professional fisherman getting into the boat. Other boats going along with him. Jesus looking at the other boats. Looking at the calm sea. Great weather to be uh, sailing. Rowing across the, the, the sea. And as everybody gets in their position. There's a cushion in the back of the boat. And Jesus you know, kind of puts his head down. And I imagine he doesn't just sleep. But there's a grin on his face. You know, he's smiling. It's a peaceful just, I can't can't wait. Wonder how they're going to handle this one. I I got something cooked up. You know, I'm I'm going to test them good this time. And so he goes to sleep. And then he creates a storm. And they go through that storm. And we know he wants to test them. He gets up and immediately... Ask them a question. Verse 40. Two questions. Why are you afraid? Why are you scaredy cats? Goodness. You're grown men. Fishermen. And why is it you still have no faith? They 
had a question that you're greatly familiar with in the text before that. Verse 38, do you not care? We are perishing. Like, wake up, Jesus, goodness. Help us bail. Don't you realize we are about to die? And we need some help here. Big storm, Jesus test. What's the test? Do you believe he cares? How could you doubt it? Do you believe he cares when your children have a mind of their own? Do you believe he cares when your marriage has fallen apart? And it wasn't your fault that your spouse had an affair and was unfaithful. Does Jesus care when your company has cuts and layoffs and your salary is going down? Jesus, don't you care what I'm going through? This is, this is going to kill me. And sometimes we don't contemplate. Jesus says, yeah, I know that. I designed the storm to test you. How is it that you're afraid? And how is it that you still don't believe me when I say I care? And that I love you with an everlasting love. How, how could you doubt my love and my passion? Well, um, let me give you an illustration. House fire. And inside the house was a grandmother and her grandson. Grandson was there because mom and dad had died in a car wreck. And when the house caught on fire, quickly went up the stairwell, lower level. Grandmother got out, but the small grandson child was upstairs screaming. And the neighborhood comes to the fire and they hear the screams and no one could think of anything to do. And the next door neighbor, William Dixon, saw a vent pipe going up the side of the house. And so he, he grabbed a hold of that hot pipe, climbed to the second floor, got the child, came out, came down the hot pipe again, lowered the boy, came down. And his hands were just terribly burned and, and scarred for life, losing a lot of mobility. But the child was safe. I think because of uh, smoke inhalation and stuff, within two months, the grandmother died. And now the grandson has no one, so he's put up for adoption. As he's put up for adoption, two men want to adopt, two families. One had just lost a son in an accident and wanted to replace that son with this son. And then the other man was Bill Dixon. And he comes before the council and says, I want, would love to adopt him and they said, well, why do you want to adopt him? And he just held up his hands as an undeniable symbol of his love and compassion for this kid who was his neighbor. And then also as a demonstration, I will do whatever it takes to care for this boy. And so they gave adoption rights to Mr. Dixon. 
you, you think of that imagery and you get it. And you all know the imagery Jesus has given us. It's like, how is it you could doubt I care? Just, he told Thomas, look at my, my hands. Look at my side. I've bled for you. I will be crucified with you. I've come from heaven to earth to go through the storms of hell for you. How is it that you could still have no faith? You must believe. I've got to get the doubt out of your lives. You've got to understand I love you with an everlasting love. I care if you perish. Now, that's the test. That's the instruction. He wants to teach us of his redeeming, delivering love for us. Clearly, he loves us. The question is, do you believe it? Now, Jesus begins to teach even more. Um, Verse 39, it was calm sea. You see, he got up, he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, hush, be still. And 99 out of 100 preachers are going to tell you, Jesus, just the same way that Jesus calmed the sea, he can calm your hearts. Now it's true, Jesus can calm your hearts. I'm not disagreeing with that statement. But that's not what the story's about. The story is not about Jesus calming our hearts. Because that's not what happened to any one of the people in the boat. There are their lives were not calm as a result of this storm. Look, look what happens to them. So he calms the sea, hush, be still. It says the wind died down and became perfectly calm. So even with 12 men in a boat, there's no ripples. It's calm. It's quiet. You can hear the pin drop, so to speak. That kind of quiet. When Jesus says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And did their hearts get calm? No. Look at verse 41. They became very much afraid. They were already scared to death. And now, whatever level scared to death is, we just cranked it up. And now they are very much scared to death. There's no calm heart here. There's a stirring up. How many times do you really need calm hearts? As I evaluate my life, many times I don't need Jesus to calm me down as much as I need him to rile me up. And to stir up my very casual, lukewarm kind of heart. And that's clearly what he's done for his disciples. Notice their view of him before they get into the storm. How did they take him into the storm? Back in um, verse 36. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat. How? Just as he was. Interesting statement. He commands them to get in the boat and they take him and say, well, Go with us. 
And they take him just as he was. By the way, he cares for us. He says, I demonstrate that I care for you. I'm in the boat with you. And they take him in the boat with them just as he was. How was he to them? Well, he was clearly a teacher to them. He was clearly a leader for them. He was clearly a healer, a miracle worker for them. He could lead them well. He could teach them well. He could heal people of all sorts of diseases. They took him as he was. And many times we take Jesus that way as well. We, Jesus, we need you. We need you for healing now. We need you for guidance. We need you for instruction. We need you for direction. Many times we take Jesus as he is to most people. Great teacher. Great healer. Wonderful friend. Very compassionate. That's how they took him. And then when he comes to see, they say, who is this? This is not who we took into the boat, is it? They took him just as he was. And now they see him as their literal words are, even the wind and the sea bow down at his command. Who is that? Let's talk about the weather. Who controls the weather? Who controls the wind? Who brought this fierce gale that created this storm? Who controls the wind? Who controls the the storm? Who can say a command, a simple command? Shh. And the, the wind and the storm just bows down at his command. Who then is this? You see, he's more than a teacher. He's more than a healer. He's more than your friend. He's God. And when I come into this house, when I come before him in my private times, many times I tell God, God, I don't need to be calmed. I don't need you to pat me on the back. I need you to stir me up. I need to be overwhelmed with you. I need to bow down before you and I need to tremble. Because I'm way too casual with you. And that leads me to be way too casual with my sin. You are holy. You are God. And even the wind and the sea bow down. Surely I've got that much sense. I need to do it too. Do you not need that kind of storm in your life? So that you really know and see and understand and live with this God. He will take us through what he needs to take us through to get us asking the right questions. Who then is he? He's God. And whatever he says, we do. We bow down at his commands. Now, 
I'll run out of time if I don't just go ahead and just jump to it. Let me, let me share with you a great story of Peter. Peter's in the boat, right? He's the head disciple. I, I, this is just my imagination, but I picture him about 6'6", 240 pounds, you know, just woolly, bully, I can take on whatever. Bring it on. He's that rough and tumble, hardworking fisherman that I would want on my side. And he is scared to death in this boat, screaming at Jesus, teacher, teacher, don't you know we're perishing? And Jesus teaches and directs them through all of that. Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 12. And we have Jesus, um, excuse me, Peter again in a life and death situation. Let me read it to you. Chapter 12 of Acts, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. I mean, we're living in the Roman world of torture. When Roman kings had the authority to get their soldiers and go get a Christian and bring the Christian into the public arena and, and strip him and cut him and mistreat him and kill him. And that was legal for the Romans to do. And they found that that was a crowd pleaser. Herod did. And he'd say, I did it to James. And they loved it. So he says, let's go get Peter. They'll love that even more. Watch what I do to him. So verse 3. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers. The best I can tell is that the squad represents four. So four of those, four times four, 16 soldiers. To guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. So get the picture. I'm not going to read the whole story. Uh, they pray and he gets delivered and all that. that that's, that's cool. But notice what's happening to Peter. You know, that's why I, I see his one of these big, big strong men. They, got, they take 16 other guys just to contain him. And they've got him, says chains, at least two chains. I don't know if the chains are on both hands, chains are on, or maybe one chain on hands, one chain on legs, maybe a chain around the waist, chain around the neck. I mean, they did it all those ways. He's got chains holding him from two directions, two different men. He's got, he's inside a jail cell. He's got men outside the jail. He's got men outside the courtyard. He's got men all around watching him. Because they have promised a spectacle tomorrow. I'm, Herod is, I'm bringing Peter. Watch what I do to Peter. So they've got to ensure that Peter shows up and that they murder him. Peter knows all of that. They've probably been mocking him and beating him and putting it, they put the chains on him already. And so these men are watching him and Peter says, uh, you know, if you, had, if you got a cushion, that'd be nice. 
uh, y'all keep doing your thing, but I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to sleep. Why? How? How could he possibly sleep when they're fixing to cut off his head? Because he's already been through the, the Sea of Galilee storm. He had already been asked the question. And he came up with the right answer. Yes, you care. You're the God who cares if I perish. And sovereignly sufficient to control the whole world to see that I don't. And even if I die, you've got the power of the resurrection and I live. So I might as well sleep. Because you got this. Are we there? How is it you could have no faith? So that's the problem. Do you know who Jesus is? If you know he's God, how is it you could ever doubt him? Because he cares for you. He's, he's gone to the cross for you. He's defeated the powers of sin in the grave for you. He promises forgiveness. He promises resurrection. How is it that we could have no faith? You must believe. You must rest in him. You must trust him. This is not optional. You drown without him. You must believe. And yet, many times, there's nothing but doubt. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How is it you could not believe? If you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Christ, do it. You must believe in him. You must trust him. Or you perish. He cares. And he is the only one in control enough to see you don't perish. So trust him. Rest in him. We want every child to trust him. We want every adult to trust him. How could we have such great news and not share it? And not tremble in his presence? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the storms that you send us through. Stirring us up now is often all we need. We need to be scared to death. We need to know there's a refuge and a strength that it's you. That you are God in control enough to see that we not perish. Father, let our trust be in you. If there's, there's one here this morning who's not received you, put full trust in you. Let them shout it now. Let them say it in their heart. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. Only you can keep me from perishing. Lord, we praise you and we adore you. May we be more fervent in our prayer, more decisively convinced in who you are, living for you lives of great pleasure. Thank you, Lord, for this time to be with you and to hear from your word. Lead us now as we take this meal together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.